Astronomy Cast, episode 469, Modern Sci-Fi for the Science Lover. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, the Director of Technology and Citizen Science at the Astronomical Society of the Pacific and the Director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Great. So I guess we're going to give people some recommendations, some books we like, some ideas of stuff that we've been reading. Hopefully this will set you up to be able to buy some gifts for the science lover in your family. And that's what we're going to do. Yes. The way I look at it is currently our world is quite literally, if you're in California, on fire. Oh, yes. And given everything that's going on, sometimes it's just nice to completely escape into another reality. And my alternate realities of choice tend to be science fiction, fantasy, and urban fantasy. So we're going to take you down those rides and talk about the ones that actually have like fairly reasonable science mm -hmm. or are good enough that you should read them anyways. Sounds good. Now, how far back do we want to go? Like you said kind of modern sci-fi you know, but I think we'll be pretty squishy about that. Yeah, I'd like to try and stay as modern as possible to give some new writers growth, not that some of them that we're going to recommend need it. Yep. But I saw this great quote. Are we? Yes, this is part of the episode now. Yes. Um, I saw this great <laughs> tweet the other day. I think it was by Emily Finke. She goes by Celix just about everywhere. And if I'm quoting the right person, which I hope I am, or I'm just a doofus, it was, we need to stop worrying that if we don't recommend Tolkien and Heinlein to small space-loving kids, that those authors will go unread because that's not going to happen. So it's time to start saying, here are new things written for the modern age that have the same mores that we have. Go read these. Because a lot of the older stuff is just kind of like, it's clearly a different time. Yes. So where do you want to start? What's a book that you've read fairly recently that you liked the science in it? So this is actually the one that Susie wanted us to do the entire episode on, the Bob-verse. I am Legion. I am Bob is the first book in the series. And this is one I think that you've read as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, I read it. Based on your recommendation. What can I say? And this is a book that takes this idea that you've been talking about since day zero of this podcast of let's download our brain into a computer. And then the computer goes off and like populates the universe with other computers. And it's kind of awesome because this is the way you want to be able to do long distance travel. Yeah. I mean, the gist of the book, if you haven't read it, is that a computer programmer dies and <laughs> is turned into a spaceship and becomes the brains of the operation for a spaceship. And then things happen. So he's a little more unchained than I think anyone was expecting. And he sort of takes matters into his own hands as he sets about... Or his own wires, as the case may be. His own wires, his own remotely operated high-velocity subspacecraft and uses that to then kind of colonize and make contact with other species, but at the same time trying to deal with the politics that are happening on Earth and trying to be 
you know, an ally to a civilization that kind of doesn't want him anymore, but needs him and doesn't know they need him. And at the same time, trying to sort of deal with the wider universe. And I totally agree. I really enjoyed just the ideas of this kind of exponential thinking about what does it mean to have access to the raw equipment, the raw facilities of a solar system to make more copies of yourself? And what does it mean kind of philosophically to have more copies of yourself out there in the world? And how do you talk to yourself when you're talking to your another version of you and so on? So I really enjoyed it. I've only read the first one, though, you've gone further. I've read all of them. How have you not read all of them? I don't know. Someone made me put together a telescope. I put together a telescope. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll catch up. I'll catch up. I've read a bunch that you haven't read, so so careful there. Okay, so what have you read? Well, so, but can you finish? But just, like, how does <laughs> the rest of the series go? Is it... Spoilers. No, don't spoil. So bottom line, it has some really cool ideas in it. This idea of basically being a factory ship that you can reproduce, redo, reprogram, recreate, and upgrade your own body. Who doesn't want to be able to upgrade their own body occasionally? Really cool ideas in it. Totally worth the download and the read. Yeah. Okay, well, then the one that I'm going to recommend is Seven Eves, which is by Neil Stevenson. And not so much the space exploration. <laughs> that is awesome oh you thank you google for jumping in on this conversation um so i think you're wrong but that's okay um i might be the only one so so the the, the concept of seven eves is that astronomers discover or everyone discovers that the moon falls apart and just cracks up into pieces and forms this ring around the Earth. And astronomers calculate that the debris from it is going to impact the Earth and essentially make the planet uninhabitable within a very short period of time. And what they do is it's this race to essentially save as much of humanity as possible by going out into orbit to avoid as the atmosphere gets superheated and, and everybody dies. And the book is broken up into two halves, the first half being leading up to sort of the culmination of the event. And then the second part is sort of thousands of years later, you know, what has human society become? And you've read it as well, right? Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful series. Well, it's like multiple books in one book. It's two books. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people like half of it and don't like the other half. And it gets into interesting biological ideas. What is epigenetics, which is something that's only really starting to get talked about in science fiction. And the idea that we can change ourselves purposefully from generation to generation simply by learning to turn on and off things that are already within us. And that's just a cool metaphor while also being super cool science. So, I mean, I think with the space flight side, are you talking about like you weren't a big fan of the pre-event space flight or the post-event space flight? This is a multi-part series that we're doing on books. And I was just trying to focus today on books where we get out and explore space. Mm -hmm. So here we have some of the Kim Stanley Robinson's ones, for instance, such as Aurora, where it's the consequences of a generation ship. And how is it that 
as you pass from one generation to the next, how do you deal with the fact that you're trapped on this spaceship with so many things that can go right and so many things more that can go completely wrong? And as always, Kim Stanley Robinson, who is a guy, in case you didn't know this, he does so much of the psychology right as well as getting the science right and the way he has the personal interactions of the characters who are just struggling and then they're like okay we're coming home now and all of the technologies that they have to figure out and how much the world they're coming back to has changed and it gets into the idea that you and so many others love of accelerating things using giant lasers and then trying to get a hold of Earth to decelerate using giant lasers. Right. I haven't read that one. I've read all of Kim Stanley Robbins. And so the other Kim Stanley Robbins, I mean, these aren't space travel, but these are really realistic stories about the colonization terraforming of Mars. There's the sort of the three-part series, the green Mars, the red Mars, green Mars, blue Mars, red Mars, blue Mars. Blue Mars, Green Mars? I never remember the order of blue and green. Yeah, so, right. But, you know, about sort of the first colonists that make their way to Mars and attempt to sort of, you know, make the place habitable, moving to actually starting to terraform the planet in sort of the far future when it is a much more habitable world. And the level of detail. You can just see Elon Musk read that book, read those books like five times. And it was just like, yes, this is what we're doing. And a lot of his ideas are set on that. This episode of Astronomy Cast is sponsored by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Astronomy30. HelloFresh is a great option for someone who has a particularly busy schedule. There's no going to the grocery store. There's no trying to figure out what am I going to make this week? No looking up ingredients. It's just a quick login, a couple of quick clicks, and everything arrives on your doorstep pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits. You don't really need to know anything. It appears in a box. You picked what you wanted and they pre-measure and all you have to do is follow the just six easy steps that they have in their meal carts. Like I said, you get to choose what you want. There's three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, or family. You get to pick which of that week's recipes you want to have delivered. And they're simple. They take about 30 minutes to make, and some of them only require one pot. So it's dump it in, do what it says, and you're off and eating and spending more time with your family and your hobbies and all those things that otherwise get eaten by food prep and dishwashing. So go to HelloFresh, give it a try. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Astronomy 30. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by BarkBox. For a free extra month of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash astronomy and subscribe to a six or a 12 month plan. That's one free box with your six or 12 month plan. So I've got a dog. His name is Eddie. And because of BarkBox, he believes 
that every cardboard box is going to be filled with joy and tasty goodness. He is very often disappointed by Amazon boxes. He has learned that every month there's going to be two squishy, fabulous, awesome toys coming his direction. And there are going to be little training treats that are perfect for trying to train him. He's not the most trainable dog. And there's going to be a big treat. This month we had two sheep's ears, which if you own a dog actually isn't as gross as it sounds. Anyways, there are fresh, awesome treats that come from U.S. or Canadian manufacturers. And I get to try new things every month. There are new toys every month. And they send things that are the right size for my 60 pound fluffy monster of a dog. And he is happy and I am happy and life is good. So make your life good by going to BarkBox.com slash astronomy and subscribing to a six or a 12 month plan and getting one free extra box to go with it. So make your dog happy, make yourself happy. So I think we have to give props to the Martian, which is still got to be one of the most sort of accurate and realistic representations of what it's going to be like to explore space, to get out there on other worlds, and sort of what are the intricacies? I mean, the level of math, the computer programs that Andy Weir created to simulate this transportation from world to world is just is crazy. Now, I haven't read Artemis yet. They were going to send me a copy of the book, and that's his new book. I haven't yet either. It's on my list. I did get a chance to spend a lot of time with talking with him just about the details that he put into the moon base and the ideas that he had for it. So that was pretty great. But I think for anybody who is really into science fiction, everyone I've given The Martian to has just read it cover to cover or, you know, who's listened to the audiobook has just snapped it up in a heartbeat. So then we have the books where essentially various aliens somehow have a way of beaming into human heads or otherwise through archaeological ruins or something else influencing man to basically explore in ways they hadn't planned. And I think the first of this series was probably Contact, which is too old to count for what we're talking about today in terms of new books. But I think the most famous of the new ones in this series is the Expanse series, which is, yes, it's a TV show. I know it's a TV show. You're welcome to love the TV show. It was a book first. Go read the books. He's still writing new ones. The universe is still expanding. I mean, it's two writers. James S.A. Corey is two people. I did not realize that. You didn't know that? Yeah. When you talk to James S.A. Corey, you are actually talking to two people, which has happened to me and is hilarious. <laughs> because you never know which one it is. And you just get an eye this and, you know, and so, but, but they act as one. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to do that. I mean, you don't get the credit for being the writer of this really wildly successful sci-fi series and television show. I haven't read the books, but my dad's read the books. My wife's read the books. So clearly I'm in this bubble and, you know, they're on the Kindle. They're ready to go. But And I actually like the books a lot more than the TV show. And I like the TV show. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So... I'm so nervous to give anything away because I know how many of you out there love the TV show. 
But it gets to the point where they even get to go beyond our own solar system. So go read the books, keep reading the books, read all the books. And there's just new intriguing idea after intriguing idea that will suck you in and keep you hoping that eventually we find our own potentially deadly, but yet awesome and technologically advanced thing that allows us to get out further than we've gone before. Is it one of those situations like, have you read Game of Thrones and watched the show? Have you done both of those? Yeah. I don't need to read any more Game of Thrones books, <laughs> right? I'm done. It's okay. <laughs> I, the TV show is plenty for me and it's and it's great and it does the job. If you've read some Game of Thrones, they stretch on a little long. Yes. There's a lot of side plots that go on. These books aren't like that. Yeah, that's what I understand. These books are concise and clean and fast-paced and suck you in and and read the books. You won't regret it. All right. I solemnly swear that I will read the books shortly. So with Game of Thrones, I think it takes longer to read the first book than to watch the first season. Yes. Not true with these books. Yeah. And the science in them with the kinds of places, the way that people live and the gravity forces involved and so on, all that is very realistic. The one gotcha is this space drive, right? But they handle it well. We made a magic space drive. Yeah. Now what? Right? That's all. Yeah. And I'm okay with occasionally making magical space drives. Yeah. Everyone gets that. I forgot, who is it? Was it Phil had that rule? Someone has a rule. I think so. Yeah, I think it's Phil has this rule that you get kind of one magic space drive or one, you know, the equivalent of the magic space drive. And then you go from there. I like Old Man's War. I was going to suggest that next. Did you hear that Netflix has picked it up for a TV series? I did. And have you actually read his new book, The Collapsing Empire, which is a different universe? No. Well, let's talk about Old Man's War first, and then we'll go into... Okay. So Old Man's War, the basic premise is that our soldiers are the old people of Earth who have moved beyond their day-to-day -day lives and have been promised that they can be young if only they join the military. And they don't know what's going to happen. They simply know they will be made young again. And after they've served in the military for a certain number of years, then they'll be released to live in their young bodies for, for however long. And it's one heck of a war. They're fighting other civilizations. They're trying to create new colony worlds. The technology is on point. They use bioengineering as well. It's got all the little check boxes and also takes into account things like you have to break the universe somehow if you're going to go faster than the speed of light. And their interesting way of breaking it yes. is every time they make the jump from one point to another, the universe splits. Yeah. So. Every time you see someone, it's actually a completely different person than the one you saw in that universe like before. Yeah, it's very similar to like the Rick and Morty sort of multiple universes idea. So they have this thing called the skip drive where they – when they jump, 
they are moved to the new position of a different version of the universe, and then the universe moves on from there. So they've literally disappeared from the old universe, discarded, and now are in the new universe. And I think that idea is the larger symbolism for what we do with old people, that just this idea of it being discarded and not required anymore and just moving on to the next place damn the consequences. And so I think that is just a really great idea. And you're just, it's this, you know, if you've seen some Rick and Morty's, there's some situations where they literally just kind of go, well, that's it for this universe. Yeah. Let's, let's go somewhere else and, and try again, because this one's all ruined. And sometimes that's what you just need to do. Now, in Old Man's War, it's not quite that useful a splitting of the universes, because it's pretty much transparent to everyone that the universe is a new universe. It's you're still seeing the same people, you're still seeing the same consequences. But it's this intellectual knowledge that's just weird. Yeah, well, and it just like they don't really know how this thing works. Yeah, yeah. Which is just great. Like we don't know it works. Let's go to war because we have to. Yes. And so let's just make this deal with the devil to do that. So now you're saying that he's got a new universe that he's working on? Yes. So this is the interdependency is the name of the universe, the name of the series. And the collapsing empire is book one. It's fairly new, came out in March of this year. And in this particular series, it goes to that idea of gates and tunnels and subspace that you're traveling through. And so people are slipping from one place to another through gates that have particular endpoints, particular beginning points. And once you accidentally fall out of subspace, they call it something different you're kind of stuck. And one of the problems that they're running into is they're finding that the gates are moving. And how do you deal with this? And how does this affect commerce? And thus the word collapsing falls into it. Right. So it has this whole inter necessity. That's not a word. It has all of these different planets that rely on each other where this is the one that one kind of fruit comes from. This is the one that has this one other thing that it comes from. And it's very much like the EU food restrictions where champagne has to come from champagne. In this case, the unions, the restrictions, all are saying this can only come from this one place without special licensing agreements. So everything falls apart if you don't have the ability to get goods between these different worlds, not all of which can fully support humans on their own. And it really speaks to a lot of our modern humans couldn't exist where they are on certain places in the earth without all of the transport that we have now. So what happens if those transportation mechanisms go away? So I've got a book that's a little older, which is back in the 70s, and that's by Joe Haldeman, and that's The Forever War. But I really like the way the space travel happens in this. So a lot of parallels with Old Man's War, you know, person signs up as a, you know, part of the military and joins this elite fighting force. But the thing that's kind of strange about it is that the way the space travel works, it's highly relativistic. So the 
Haldeman put in sort of did all these calculations for what would happen if you traveled at the speeds that would be required to be able to move from place to place. And what that means is that literally home, you disconnect from where you came from by hundreds, thousands of years, and it totally distorts and kind of messes with just your idea of what does it mean to be defending a world that has no even idea that you exist anymore. And yet you're out there out on the front lines. And every time you move from front to front from battlefield to battlefield, time distorts heavily for the people back at home. So I uh, highly recommend it. And they've done a couple more books as well. But I really enjoyed this idea of like, what are the implications of relativistic space travel for a society that sends people out doing this? And you see this getting used in, again, a somewhat older book, Orson Scott Cards. And I know there's issues with Orson Scott Card. In Orson Scott Card's Enders series, you see this traveling fast enough puts you in a different aging pattern so that you're essentially skipping down the generations by traveling from world to world. And it deals with the consequences of that, the redemption of that, which then harkens back to the old Jack Campbell books where you have your war hero who died, who turned out to have just been actually in stasis. And what are the consequences to bringing back your dead hero on a civilization? It turns out that civilizations don't deal so well with having to deal with the realities of their war heroes. Did you have some more? I have a couple of recommendations that have come in from the viewers in the chat that I just wanted to throw in as well. So, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> so one other set of books to bring forward is the Alive series. Well, it's the Generations trilogy by Scott Sigler. It's Alive, Alight, and Alone. And it takes a completely different look at the generation ship. And if I say anything else, I will give the book away. But if you're looking for YA that will also scare the bejesus out of you while being YA, Scott Sigler's Generations trilogy, and they really are books that should be taught side by side with Lord of the Flies. So when I say they get scary, think Lord of the Flies on a generation spaceship. Well, that's great. Speaking of Generation Spaceship, and I haven't read it yet, but I like Tom Merritt, who uh, does Court Killers, Daily Tech News Show, does Sword and Laser, and has done a bunch of books. And he's got a new Generation Ship book out called Pavaria. And so that has just come out, and hopefully I'll get a chance to read that soon enough. But just to give some props to some writers out there. So you said we had some recommendations from the audience. Yeah, so just a couple of recommendations that we got from some people, but you know, go ahead and keep putting them in there. The Dark Force trilogy. So I guess I can mention that. That's the three body problem. And this is one that everyone have been nagging me to read. Because they know I love the Fermi paradox so much. And the book is the sort of a lot of people liked it as sort of one of the best explanations for the Fermi paradox of why we haven't found any aliens. So I don't want to spoil anything. But it's a good book and very weird. It's a very weird book. It's based in China. 
And it's a Chinese book, like it's written in Chinese, it's been translated into English. And the gist of the book is that people have been receiving these communications from an alien civilization, and have been sort of incorporating that into video games and sort of preparing ourselves for meeting them. And you get these really interesting insights into how this alien civilization operates and how they deal with a fairly unique environmental problem that they have to face and how that sort of baked into their culture. It's a hard read. It is a hard read for sure. Do not do it while distracted. I read the books while distracted and need to reread them because I know I've read them <laughs> and that's all I can tell you right now. Noel Rubenthal recommends Robert J. Sawyer's Factoring Humanity. And I've read a few Robert J. Sawyer books. Yeah, I've never been disappointed by his books. No, and he's Canadian. So, you know, there you go. Who else have we got? Werner Vinge, books, Fire Upon the Deep, Deepest in the Sky. So I really enjoyed Fire Upon the Deep, sort of as a bad AI trying to take over a galaxy and the people arrayed to try and stop it. And this sort of very important, man, what's the term for the like MacGuffin? This MacGuffin falls on this alien world and this primitive civilization gets their hands on it. And MacGuffin? Yeah, this sort of this gadget, this gadget that just doesn't need to matter, doesn't, you know, has no purpose except to serve as a story point. So anyway, good book. Very weird. Weird books are good. Let me see if I can get some more recommendations from people. So bottom line, read. And we're going to be doing more parts in the series to hit on things like great books that discuss 3D printing, making, and the tech side of science fiction, and then also looking at biofiction and how biology and climate and all of that get addressed as well. So we want to encourage you to find your science everywhere and read, because it's how we can escape and think beyond ourselves. And especially like if you don't have time to read with your eyeballs now read with your earballs right so you've got audiobooks that you can listen to and you know read while you're walking around or while you're doing housework oh yeah and it's so easy nowadays to find good books audible.com actually will sync with your kindle so you can go back and forth from reading with your eyeballs to reading with your earballs i like that phrase <laughs> all right well then we'll pick this up next week sounds great fraser Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google. We record our show live on YouTube every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org or on our YouTube page. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. If you would like to listen to the full unedited episode, including the live viewers' questions and answers, you can subscribe to astronomycast.com slash feed slash full raw. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show was edited by Chad Weber. This episode of Astronomy Cast was made possible thanks to donations by people like you. Please give by going to patreon.com slash astronomycast.